In the 20 plus years of helping people plan for the cost of retirement and long-term health care, we've identified one consistent theme among families and caregivers. People don't like to talk about money. Life Care Affordability Planning helps families who are facing long-term health issues and increasing health-related expenditures to make better informed financial decisions during a time when there are so many unanswered questions. It's time to face this topic head-on, address the emotional charge of discussing money, and discover practical ways to bridge the gap between a long-term health care plan and your ability to pay for it. Hello and welcome to Life Care Affordability Planning with Tom West and Arvet Reed from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. Today is going to be a great podcast. You know, they all are. However, today they have a special guest and that is Valerie Geiger. And Valerie is a founding partner of Cuccinelli Geiger PC and has been practicing in the field of elder law since 2004. Valerie focuses in the areas of Medicaid planning and estate planning. Valerie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you all? Welcome, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, so we, I know Valerie not only through work with the Life Care Affordability Plan, but we also share um, Insight Memory Care Center. We're both board members on that right now. So I get to work with Valerie in all kinds of ways. Nice. Valerie, from what I understand, you're an elder law attorney. Is that correct? That's correct. Fantastic. What is an elder law attorney, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, an elder law attorney is an attorney whose practice focuses on individuals with disabilities special needs, um, for example, dementia, Down syndrome, et cetera. We deal with other clients too who mm. uh, are typical and we do estate planning, Medicaid planning, probate, special needs trusts, guardianships, conservatorships. Big words. Ton of stuff. <laughs> Big words. <laughs> yeah. I won't ask for all the definitions. We'll just, we'll just roll. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom and Arvet, why'd you bring her on the show today? I mean, obviously she fits right in with what you guys do. Uh, that would be the obvious answer, but you guys have known each other for a long time, correct? Sure. Well, you know, as 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 a as a trusted colleague, you know, I've, I too have known Valerie for a real long period of time. I was thinking about the sequence of some of our different podcast episodes, and we're coming off of a great conversation about Medicare. And a lot of times, when we're thinking about how families consider ways to pay for different approaches to chronic illness or injury or whatnot. After Medicare, Medicaid is usually one of the concepts that's sort of top of mind mm -hmm. for a lot of consumers that are out there. So what we thought we would do today is to bring Valerie in for just some comments about, you know, where on the ground floor should people start building their understanding of what Medicaid really is? And mm -hmm. I think when we were thinking about how that interfaces with a lot of our life care affordability plan, where does it fit? And, you know, what are good ways to make sort of decisions about how you pay for it when we're thinking about Medicaid and in the context of life care affordability planning. So, you know, really, uh, Valerie, a first question for you is, you know, tell us what, what Medicaid is. What, what are we talking about? What is the Medicaid system? How does it work? Medicaid is the public benefit that pays for long-term care. It's often confused with Medicare, but it is Medicaid, mm -hmm. and it is the only public benefit that is income and asset sensitive that, that helps finance long-term care in a nursing home. So what do you mean by income and assets sensitive? So there are income and asset tests that you have to go through if you want eligibility for Medicaid. So you can't have too much money and qualify for Medicaid, That's basically. Correct. That's okay. correct. All right. So talk a little bit about eligibility. We know that there's that, that financial component from an asset and from an income standpoint. Um, could you talk about that? Could you also talk a little bit about health care and eligibility on that front as well? 
Sure. To be eligible for Medicaid, you have to be needy in two categories. You have to be medically needy and you have to be financially needy. Mm -hmm. To be medically needy, you have to um, be deficient in what they call activities of daily living. Your dressing, bathing, um, ambulation, uh, et cetera. So you need to be deficient in at least two or more of those activities of daily living and have what basically we call a nursing home level need of care. Right. So it's not someone who's newly diagnosed with dementia. They're not going to be medically needy. You also need to be financially needy. So there are income and asset tests. There are some assets that are deemed exempt for Medicaid eligibility. In the, uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia, a majority of assets are what they call countable Mm-hmm. for Medicaid eligibility. And what everyone hears about is the $2,000. You can't have more than $2,000. Right. Which there's more to the story, but that's the kind of the general guideline. Well, the other thing is everybody thinks, oh, I get to keep my house. That's true. Yeah. That's true with some bells and whistles, yeah. right? So you get, if, if you're married, you got a spouse, you keep the house. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're an individual who is, you know, unmarried, then yeah, for maybe about six months and then we got to do something with, with the it. house. Mm-hmm. And I... Back to your point about eligibility and, and needing help with activities of daily living, there is a difference between assisted living and nursing level of care. And, you know, here locally in the Northern Virginia area, there aren't a lot of assisted livings that take Medicaid. So people just assume, oh, I can just move into anywhere with Medicaid. But the eligibility part is really, really important from a medical perspective. It's super important. And I think people confuse the types of care. They, they, they think it, assisted living and nursing home is interchangeable and it's not. Right, right. It's very different. So, you know, there, it's, it's worth pointing out to our audience, there exists a space where somebody might not be able to safely live by themselves. Mm-hmm. And even though they might not have financial resources to pay for care, they might not be healthcare qualified for Medicaid, which is right. one of our uncomfortable spots. And I think, remember, the in, in, in one of the things is also true is sometimes people might be medically eligible but have too much in assets or income. And that, that, that speaks a little bit to concepts around Medicaid planning. So, you know, one of the things that you do, Valerie, is for folks that have too much money and might be thinking ahead about the possibility of qualifying for Medicaid, there's a handful of things that, that it, there's a handful of rules that we have to be mindful of, and there's a handful of things that might be appropriate to consider. So walk us through Medicaid planning. Like, what do you do with clients that might be over-resourced. Give us a little bit of background there. Um, it was, so the first thing that we do at the office is we do a resource assessment. So we sit down and run through the assets like an eligibility worker would for Medicaid mm-hmm. right. to determine what amount you are actually what they call over-resourced by. So how much money do you have most, more uh, or less? Yeah, how much is going to be countable right. and going to keep you from, from being eligible for Medicaid? Mm-hmm. Then we look at that amount we look at the plan of care and we try to run through different planning options of, okay, how best can we preserve assets, but at the same time qualify for Medicaid? And the preservation of assets is, um, I often get the question of, is that legal or can you do it? Um, you can, because everything that we're doing is based on the Virginia Medicaid manual. So I, right. I read the manual constantly, know all the rules, what can and what can can we not do in order to to preserve but also gain eligibility? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of some of those different kinds of techniques? So, uh, what in the again in the office we have pre need planning versus okay now we're in a crisis we need the Medicaid right. eligibility right away. Mm-hmm. Pre need planning I think a lot of people hear about the 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 trust 
right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the trust. Mm-hmm. And it's the irrevocable, uh, it's an irrevocable Medicaid planning trust. You're moving your assets out of your name into this trust. Hopefully you have, you know, a good family in place that can manage this trust because you no longer own the assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we hope is there's a calculation of how much you should keep in your name, how much should go to the trust, but but you're basically moving assets out of your name and hoping that, you know, you won't need Medicaid in five years because Medicaid has a look back that's it's actually 60 months, the application asks. Mm-hmm. What have you transferred in 60 months? And if you give away gifts or make uncompensated transfers, then you get penalized. Yeah. And, but, you know, being in the senior housing and healthcare world for 15 years, like I've heard this over and over and over again. But then the other side of the question is, people don't really realize when you're doing that and doing Medicaid planning, what your options are. Like Medicaid doesn't cover everywhere. Um, and it's not going to cover maybe the nicer places that's in your neighborhood that you thought might be an option for you down the road, right? Like talk a little bit about that when you're talking with families. So my step one in in the meeting is, yes, I want to understand the assets and I and we want to think about Medicaid, but I also very much push what's the plan of care. Right. Okay, and that drives the planning. So if the plan of care is to never go to a nursing home, then why are we talking about Medicaid? Right, right. Because that's not really, I mean, it might be have to be the person's fallback option, but right. if the if the main goal is I, I want to keep the person at home or eventually they'll go to assisted living or memory care, then then Medicaid planning should not be our priority. Right. It, it well, and so many people say, oh, I can stay home and I can get the Medicaid waiver aid to come to my house. But that's too still has a lot of loop, you know, um, hoops you got to jump through. It does. It's the same Medicaid eligibility test like we just discussed. Um, it does not pay for 24-7 care. So right. you are going to have to offset um, with your own assets the other hours of the day that it's not being covered by Or Medicaid. family members around the clock. Or family members, right? You you yourself or loved ones are going to have to pick up because they do maybe 8 to 10 hours a day, uh, roughly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that one of the things that, that um, for people in the audience that, that don't have an, an understanding of how much of the nation's or Virginia's long-term care bill gets paid by Medicaid. It's a pretty significant percentage of how people have a lot of these care costs covered. It, it's also useful to know that part of the reason that Medicaid doesn't pay for all sorts of different facilities is they're paying less to a nursing home than what you would pay out of pocket. They, they basically are paying the nursing home a discounted rate that sometimes is as much as 25% or more under whatever the private pay rate is. So it's, it's useful to consider as we're, as we're sitting here this year, how the environment is changing. You have more and more people aging into a space where they're gonna be needing help. And you, know, you, have, a, you have service providers like nursing homes having the choice of whether they want to cater to people that can pay full freight or to administer types of care like assisted living or home care that people have to go out of pocket for, or do they want to chase a business model where they're going to be being paid less than full market rate? It's a challenging environment, and I'm glad I you brought up that I think the future of Medicaid and the challenges of how the nation and the state are going to be paying for all this it's going to continue to be a more challenging world in sort of that Medicaid space, which I think people need to be aware of. Yeah, and I think two more points I want to make is that Medicaid is state regulated, whereas mm-hmm. Medicare is 
um, federal, mm -hmm. Medicaid is state. So state by state, it changes and, and you know, what's available and the processes might be slightly different. And back to the idea of the business of the nursing home, as I mentioned earlier, you can get a Medicaid waiver in your house, but again, the home care agencies that provide that service are in the same position as the nursing homes where the money they're going to get for Medicaid reimbursement isn't as much as they would get in private pay so or Medicare. Right. So the business of a nursing home and the business of a home care agency, they have to decide that they are willing to take less pay for in order to service that space. Well, and, and Narvet, to that point, the nursing homes in Northern Virginia have decided they don't want to be in that business. And, and we have a bit of a nursing home bed shortage. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to get a nursing home bed because... In Medicaid, right? Well, just period. In general. In general, because um, a lot of facilities have either... They, they mostly downsized and upped their rehab because they can make more money that Focused way. on the Medicare. Mm -hmm. And they can and, make more money. And it's not just here in Virginia. I've talked to, um, we have clients that have family members in other parts of the country, and I've made calls, and it's it's the same all over the place. It, it goes back to what's the business of the nursing home right. um, in today's world versus what it might have been 40 years ago. But um, what I want to say is basically Medicaid is a choice, but it's only a choice for some. But most people, it's not the best choice, right? And what do people give up again by choosing to go this pre-planning Medicaid route other than maybe just which facility they might choose? Well, um, if they do the pre-planning route with the trust, they're definitely giving up a control and of their assets, which my finding is it's, it's rare that the clients are saying, yes, I want to do this. Um, because they, you know, you work your whole life to build up your own nest egg. And mm -hmm. the last thing you're thinking of is, oh, I just want to hand this over, right? You have to really have a trusted family member or a person that you can hand off to that because the, because the whole point of the trust is that if you do actually need the money, that the people who actually are in control of it will turn around and give it back to you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? But they don't have to give it back to you. So you have to have the right team in place for this, that kind of planning to even work. Mm-hmm. And I think the other piece, and Val, you can talk on this too. I mean, as 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 a Medicaid recipient, you're you're effectively a ward of the state at that point, and the ability to self-direct a lot of your different care plan. That's one of the other things mm -hmm. that that might be taken away from you. You're not able to choose from this wide menu of service providers or different settings of care. Or your whatnot. physician, you're just like you know, you have to check and see if your physician takes Medicare or your particular insurance. Not as many physicians take Medicaid anymore. Yeah, so you're really um, kind of uh, at the mercy of the facility that you're in because they have the doctors. The doctors coming there; those are the doctors that are going to take Medicaid, and so you're you're not having choices. It's what's there at the facility. Mm -hmm. um, that's what what your providers are, um, and without other resources, you're not going to be able to take transportation to go to see XYZ doctor. Right. And once again, I mean, med there's there's lots of services that Medicaid provide outside of the senior population that we're talking about right now, right? And there's there's a space for that, that that's, you know, not where we're going to focus today. But it is the right choice for some. We're not trying to say that it's not the right choice. It is the right choice for some. But those people out there, and I ran into several of them over the 15 years, that that was just their default without really understanding all of the other options, right? right? And so I think people need to take the time to not just say, oh, I'm just gonna plan on Medicaid when the time comes. You gotta do your research early, see if that's even gonna work for you. Right, and, and I think that when we're considering the 
families that life care affordability planning is making the most impact on, it's really families that are right not on the, the edge of qualifying for Medicaid to begin with. Most of the folks where the life care affordability plan makes the most impact are folks that would have some pretty significant assets that hypothetically would have to be spent through or transferred to a trust before Medicaid would even be an option. Right. And I think part of the ground that we're covering today is, is you really want to be sober about the things that you'd be giving up and what that environment might look like to just decide whether that is an option that you want to proactively consider as compared to maybe that's the last resource or the last option for you. So, so in, in, instead of just racing to that Medicaid recommendation, Valerie, one of the things that you talked about was, you know, somebody's coming into your office, you do a resource assessment, you figure out what the family and the decision-making sort of capacity is, you know, in lieu of Medicaid for people that have money to pay for care, what, what, what do, what do you, where do you start in terms of giving recommendations in an, as, as an elder law attorney for families? Where do you start? So every case I believe is organic. You have to listen to the client, listen to the facts and circumstances. If they have, if I believe that they're probably going to have sufficient assets and the plan of care does not include wanting to go to a nursing home, which usually doesn't, right. um, then I am asking that we form a team, that we get a director care manager on board, that we talk to financial a financial advisor and come up with that plan to so that you know we can calm the anxiety of the client of, with this team, we are going to be able to put a plan together. You are going to be able to finance this. This isn't going to bankrupt you. We mm -hmm. don't have to go from zero to 60, right, to the Medicaid planning. Let's let's talk to people who know how to actually analyze your finances mm -hmm. and give you kind of that analysis of, no, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'd like to see that first before we start doing any Medicaid planning because sure. I, I want to know, I'd rather them come to you and, and you say, okay, year three, we have an uh-oh. And, and a lot of times, you know, it's not that. A lot of times it's not year three, uh-oh. Right. So um, why mm -hmm. are we going to do something a little more drastic of the Medicaid planning if we don't need to? So you, you've painted a good um, picture in our audience's head about, you know, a plan involves, uh, you know, a collegial team with different areas of expertise, legal and medical and financial. Um what makes a plan work among those different professionals? What are the what are the things that you need to see on how those different uh, skill sets interact with clients? What what makes for a good functioning plan in your mind? When the team talks to each other, so the team has to get along, has to know each other, um, and be willing to share information, and and really it produces a great product for the client because you have three different disciplines mm -hmm. coming up with the best plan for the for that person. Sure. And, and, you know, and, and, and you, can, you can speak to this too. There's a lot of times that there are some responsibilities on the part of the client and the family. Right. They're a team member too. That's what I was just about to say. And yeah. maybe you can talk a little bit about, well, what are the areas where it looks like from a professional standpoint, things should be setting up uh, very well, but then things might go left or they might go off the rails. Talk, talk a little bit about the responsibilities of family members or clients being a good team member for their own plan. Right. Um, one of the things when I left the senior housing and healthcare world and jumped over to finance to focus on the life care affordability plan, in 
senior housing and healthcare, we always have family meetings, right? That's just what we do. And in your world, Valerie, you have family meetings as well. In the finance world, that didn't really happen. There was usually one person, right? So when you are bringing the three disciplines together, it's really important for the family to be involved also in the financial conversation. And it might be the first time ever that, that that's happened. And so what we found through the life care affordability planning process is by bringing everybody to the table and allowing the person that's been managing the finances to um, explain some of the rationale, what they did to express what they were most hopeful for when they made the decisions and for everybody to acknowledge that the job of the money has now changed. Like the idea that this person was retiring and going to leave a big nest egg to the kids and the grandkids that is usually a conversation that has to happen early because now there's healthcare costs that nobody anticipated, right? Um, so it's very, very important to have family members involved. And we know that not all families are gonna come together and kumbaya, you know? We as the professionals that do this day to day know that sometimes we have to help families navigate some circumstances before we can continue to move forward to the next phase of the plan. But um, very, very important to get the family involved. Well, it's necessary because presumably at some point they're going to be handing off the nest egg, so to speak, to their agent under their financial power of attorney. Right. And if that person doesn't have any idea of what the, the, the principal of the document was thinking, what their wishes were, what the right. plan of care is, then you're handing them something blind and saying go. Yeah. So um, that it's, it's just critical. It's a critical conversation for everybody. Same thing with like advanced directives. Like you can't have an advanced directive saying that you do want this, don't want that and have nobody in your family understand what it is that you really want. Right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Sure. Well, I, th I think just in terms of some wrap up thoughts for today, I'm going to paraphrase something that Valerie just said, which is in order for this team to aid the family and the client to make effective decisions, there has to be an understanding of what the new priorities are, you know, what that plan of care is that can drive the best clinical or therapeutic outcomes, what that setting looks like, mm -hmm. what the living arrangement is. And there needs to be agreement on what the new goals are. What are the new most important things? And sometimes it's hard for families to muddle through all of the priorities that they used to have and all these new priorities that are just now urgent in front of them. And that's something that we really try hard to do with professionals like Valerie to help families suss out what the new most important things and are. And sometimes they think the new most important thing is to protect the money until you get into all the other conversations. Right. And I think that part of what is rewarding, certainly speaking for myself, is, is to give people permission to ask for help that has costs associated with it. I think too often people will go out of their way not to ask for help. Maybe it's because they're not comfortable accepting the situation they're in. Maybe because they've had priorities in the past, Arvette, like you said, mm -hmm. about maintaining legacy. But I think that the process, at least with the life care affordability plan that we've tried to build, you know, is, is taught by a lot of the principles that Valerie outlined in right. terms of what makes for a functioning plan. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad at least coming from a legal professional who, who really makes sure that the family has the ability and the permission and the authority to make these kinds of decisions, that, that's something that's important for everybody to consider. Yeah, let's start the conversation. Let's start the conversation. Eric, that's our ideas for today. That was fantastic. I love the fact that she was here because that, that gave a lot of insight to a lot of people. Tom and our vet, if they want to reach out to you and connect 
uh, with you guys specifically. And I know that you have all her contact information, Valerie's contact information. How do they get a hold of you guys? It's the best way. Valerie, you go ahead and tell your firm. Oh, Cuccinelli Geiger. We're in Fairfax, 703-481-6464. And your website? Uh, CuccinelliGeiger.com. In Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, in case you're listening like, from elsewhere. Like <laughs> and then for the, uh, yeah, in case you're in Minnesota. No. Um, and for life care affordability planning, you can go to affordlifecare.com. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You bet. And thank you all for joining us today on the Life Care Affordability Planning Podcast with Tom and Arvette. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tom and Arvette come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family that need to hear it. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Life Care Affordability Planning, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Views and opinions provided herein are those of the individual speakers. All content is informational only and is not intended to be an endorsement or recommendation of any particular investment strategy or other course of action. Consult your tax, legal, and financial professions concerning your specific situation. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through SEIA LLC. Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Life Care Affordability Plan is a marketing name for SEIA. Services related to evaluating the client's health care treatment plan are independent of and not endorsed by Royal Alliance Associates, Inc.